The Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners, a free-flowing conversation with leaders in the HR community, talking about themselves, the industry, and their work. Brought to you in cooperation with NERA, the Northeast Human Resources Association. Welcome to the Hennessy Report. I'm your host, Dave Hennessy. And today's podcast is the second of three podcasts leading up to NERA's Diversity and Inclusion Gala on March 22nd. I should say the sold-out DNI Gala. Our last podcast was with the diversity recruiting legend, Frank McCarthy. And so it's fitting. Today's guest is the head of HR from the organization that won the 2017 Frank X. McCarthy Diversity Champion Award, and that's Lydia Green. In our discussion, Lydia talks about how at Tufts Health Plan, they built their workforce to reflect the communities they serve. I think you'll be interested to hear how Lydia describes what Tufts Health Plan is doing to make their organization more effective through their development and success of their business resource groups, often known as BRGs or ERGs. Lydia also discusses a cultural transformation that Tufts Health Plan has made, which has enabled them to have a very large percentage of remote workers, and this has been very successful for them. Just a note about our next guest, we have Ed Hurley-Wales, the head of market diversity for ADP, coming up in a couple of weeks. And now I bring you my discussion with Lydia Green. Well, here we are at the headquarters of Tufts Health Plan, sitting with the SVP and Chief Human Resources Officer, Lydia Green. Well, good morning. It's great to have you here. Thank you, and welcome to being on the podcast with us. So we are starting this podcast off, and I, one of the reasons I reached out to you is because NERA has its Diversity and Inclusion Gala every spring. Actually, it's quite early this spring. I think it's like the second day of spring. It's um, March 22nd. Their speaker is going to be Anita Hill, and a lot of people are very excited about having her as a speaker, but you are somebody in your organization is known for what you've done in the area of diversity and inclusion, the successes you've had. So maybe it would be good for us to start talking about that. I know some of the proudest work you've done is around diversity and inclusion. So why don't we um, start there and just talk a little bit about your philosophy with DNI here at Tufts Health Plan, maybe your own personal philosophy, and then we can go on to some of the specific things that you've implemented and the successes that you've had. Sure. You know, I feel really strongly that DNI has to be has to be in the institution's fibers and and daily work, and so uh, at Tufts Health Plan, much like um, other companies, the the first push for DNI comes with well, you know, what's your employee workforce made of? What percentage of your leaders are diverse? And uh, we spent a number of years working on that information gathering first. No, jumping right into the recruitment. What can you do to oh. recruit? Okay, I mean, sure, certainly information gathering, but it's not hard to right. count up the number of diverse oh, right. leaders you have right. in an organization, right? right? And there weren't many. I think we were, you know, six or seven years ago, eight years ago, probably 4% diversity in our directors and above. It was a very low number. But it takes people like your CEO or other leaders to say, no, I want to see diverse candidates. And, and you can get quite a long ways with that. Um, and the more diversity you have, the more employee referrals you have. But you can still... in, in I believe, only get so far in that you have to be an organization that someone, a woman, someone of color, wants to come and work for. What's compelling for yeah. them, mm. other than maybe they've had someone or they 
they've heard about it and the job sounds interesting. So what I love most about working here is that uh, a number of years ago, our CEO said this is a, a business issue as well. Um, we know, for instance, um, when we went out and looked at our members, we were underrepresented in the market. So there's a, a business opportunity. How do we go out and, and increase our membership and our, our profitability and growth by recruiting more people from diverse communities? Mm. It also ties beautifully with our mission to support you know the health and wellness in the diverse communities that we serve. Sure. So when we started doing that, which meant, you know, looking at a variety of things, what's our percentage of diverse suppliers? What's What are we doing to grow our membership in diverse communities? What are we doing internally in the culture to really grow diversity through, through adding business resource groups, employee resource groups? And when we started to do that, that really started to change the image and the perception of Duff's Health Plan in the community far more than we could do just through recruitment alone. And that has has really helped. I think now we're seventeen percent diverse in our leadership. So ranks. You go, wow, from four percent to seventeen percent. Yeah. So that's and that's like six or seven years. Yeah, yeah, really impressive. We're you know thirty two percent diverse in our employee base. That's more diverse than uh, Boston itself is, or the Commonwealth overall. So, and and we're not stopping because that diversity of thought. Hmm. Um, enables us to serve members so much better, to understand our employees so much better, to get the best out of everybody. So what's what kicked off the whole initiative around diversity and inclusion? You know, we got some of the philosophy and some of the things you've done early, but it sounds like your CEO and you, uh, it, how did it how did that happen, I guess? You know, it, it almost always has to happen from the top. You can light some little fires around, you can grow some suggestions, but at the end of the day, you have to have a CEO and a leadership team that are interested and invested in this. You know, I, I really have to credit our CEO. I mean, he's the one who said, no, it's a business initiative and it's the right thing to do for us as a business um, and as a, a provider of health in the communities that we serve. There are a lot of, of communities who have very different health, you know, there are health inequities out there in the community. Mm. What can we do to help support those and serve those? So not only is it good for our business, but then it's good for our employees because that's what our employees want to do and mm -hmm. to work on. Our, our CEO went to uh, was one of a few from the Boston area who um, is part of the CEOs for Diversity and Inclusion. They met in New York City, I think in early December, late, late November. Um, and those are CEOs from across the company who are saying, this is an important across issue. Country. Across the country. Yeah. Yeah. Important issue. Uh, we all have to be involved, and those CEOs who went locally now are back saying to other CEOs, what are you doing? Can you come to the table? And that same organization is now having um, a gathering in January for the heads of HR and the heads of diversity. So myself and our VP for business diversity are both going down. You, know, you have to keep it going. You have to keep the conversation alive. You have to keep taking the step forward, um, and it, it's, it's really turned into kind of a big deal. Right, and you have a lot of momentum. We have a lot of momentum, and it's nice to be able to share what we've done with others. That's great. And uh, some of the things you've done, and you mentioned them, BRGs or ERGs, I think you call them... We call B them BRGs. BRGs. Okay. So a little bit about that difference first, because sure. I think a lot of organizations know them as ERGs. And, uh, and even before that, I mean, they've been around 50 years or so, and they were known as affinity groups, really, because it was just a way to get employees together based on common affinities. Mm. Um, and then they sort of got upgraded to ERGs. We call them business resource groups because we want them to be focused on getting together based on their common interests. But how are they giving back to or improving the business? 
each business resource group, we have five. We have an LGBTQ group. We have a veterans group. We have a disabilities group. We have a women's group. And we have a multi-ethnic group. Already have close to 400 employees. Wow. Working in the groups. And they have, their mission is to do their work in sort of four areas. We call them the four C's. So culture, company culture is an obvious one. Community, what are they doing to help give back to the community? And there's some cool stuff happening in that I'll come back to. Commerce, what are you doing to improve our business? And then careers, what are you doing both to accelerate and develop the careers of your own members and to bring new talent into the organization? So culture, community, commerce, and careers. And very business focused. No wonder the BRG. Yeah, yeah. yeah. Um, and and you know what's really fun about Tufts Health Plan, and and you can see it in these is we're just an organization that says yes a lot. So if somebody has a great idea, we try to say yes. And how can we make that happen? The community focus has been around volunteerism. So we're partners. The Dimmick Community Health Center is a great example. Mm-hmm. It's a great community health center. We have an individual who serves on their board. We provide health insurance for their employees. And we have uh, business resource groups and other volunteers who go over and do a lot of work um, at the DIMIC. Great relationship and, and does a lot for the community. The head of our corporate citizenship um, and foundation um, recently said that in 2018, she's going to give each BRG $5,000 of foundation money and ask those individuals to identify or review grant requests in the area of their interest. Hmm. So they'll be trained in philanthropic giving, a little sort of short philanthropic giving for yeah, a little you course. Know, 101, right. yeah, a little right. course. <laughs> um, and then they'll review um, grant requests and be able to use that money to give back to community. Interesting. Yeah. Very good. What are some of the early wins you've had in your BRG groups? Are there any stories that have bubbled out to you that of any of the groups that you're like, wow, this is really having an impact on our organization? I mean, you've already shared a couple, but are there any things that... You know, the one that stands out in my mind is um, our Disabilities Business Resource Group hosted two Lunch and Learns. And our Lunch and Learns can be attended by employees here in the building, of course. And then we live stream them for other people in the building and Mm -hmm. folks um, who work at home. And uh, the first one that they did, we had three employees talking about their own disabilities. We have a fellow who's completely blind. We have uh, a woman who talked about her mental health issues. And then a third woman who is confined to a wheelchair. And uh, having those people talk very openly about their disabilities led to um, a couple of our employees standing up and talking about their own disabilities, often the ones that are hidden that are harder to discuss. And it made me, uh, it just touches your heart when you when you realize that you've got a group that's opening up this discussion in the workforce, ed- educating others, and creating a safe environment where people stand up and will talk about these things. Mm. The next panel they had was for employees who are caregivers. So the people that attend these panels could be outside of the BRGs. Yeah, it absolutely. Like. It sounds like you're, you're, you're saying that, right? Yes. Okay. Yeah, and that's partly how they're giving back to the company. Yeah, so it's members of their own BRG, but a lot of other employees attend as well. Yeah. So that really uh, had an emotional impact on the organization. It sounds like the people that attended and heard those stories from not only the panelists, but from others in the the audience that stood up and shared. I'm on the Perkins School for the Blind. Uh, We have a business partnership. You know, and, and until I was a volunteer sort of... there. I used to live in Watertown, so I was All a volunteer right. there. Maybe I'll get back. you back in 20 years ago. Yeah. <laughs> you know, until you sort of dive in 
you know, and get used to, you know, we've got now, we've just hired a second visually impaired person. Until you sort of get comfortable with, can I take your arm? You know, how can I help you get your lunch served here? Being up close and personal, having these folks talk in a panel, makes you much more comfortable around mm. it. The Perkins School did a great event, and I'm hoping to bring it to one of our our cultural events. We serve food, and the Perkins School did a thing where you were blindfolded and went to a, a food tasting. And, you know, it's very humbling to sit there and not know where the food is on your plate, and are you going to knock over your glass and trying to pick something up, and now you've got food on your fingers. Um, sort of that all-in experience, um, I think, will benefit all of us here mm-hmm. at, at Tufts Health Plan mm-hmm. and make us more understanding with each other and, and clearly with our members, many of whom are, are fragile and, you know, struggling with health issues at their time. Helps That's with great. understanding a lot. That's great work. We also do um, an employee engagement survey every two years, and we ask, have you ever, um, you know, has has your sexual orientation, your, your ethnicity, your gender, or anything else um, ever been a factor in anything that's happened to your mm-hmm. health plan? And 88% of our employees feel strongly that that's never um, been an issue for them mm. here at Tufts Health Plan. Right. So you can't always be sure, but you want to have other things in place that give, you know, compliance hotlines, yeah. you know, a good HR team. Um, Is that typical in sure. engagement surveys? I'm sorry, I don't, I'm not as familiar with the common no. practice. We I, added I that. Okay. We added that question because it's always been important to us that everyone here feels safe, feels that they aren't treated any differently um, because of who they are. So that's been a question we've been tracking now for about eight years and continue to have really strong results in it. That's great. So you mentioned before that at senior levels in the organization, uh, you've become more diverse, especially over the last half dozen years. Can you talk a little bit about the impact of that increase in diversity for the organization? Yeah, it's been terrific. Um, I would say close to 50% of our board members, if you start really at the very top, 50% of our board members are either female and or diverse. Um, our leadership team now is uh, close to 50% female. And when I say leadership team, I'm talking about the direct reports to the CEO, the senior vice presidents. Mm-hmm. Which is very uncommon in organizations. Which is uncommon. And you know what's the most important thing about that is they ask questions. As you start to change the culture... Then you have people who are starting to say, how does my team look? And do I have enough diverse diversity in, in the organizations that I oversee? And what's the pipeline? And are folks seeing diverse candidates? Or why don't we have more women in this part of the organization? Right. Typically really our problem. But, you know, it started with the board saying, what are you doing about diversity and leadership? And creating that pressure. And then our senior leaders now are creating that pressure. And our senior leaders are the executive sponsors of our business resource groups. So they're getting really a first-hand education in the value of diversity and now asking questions. Well, do I have veterans in my organization? Mm-hmm. How many women do I have? And and where are the members of our LGBTQ BRG coming from? Are they represented from all over all the departments, organization? Right. All departments, right. Are they younger employees, older employees? So I think that's the value of having diversity at that level is people ask questions. Yeah. They want and, to know how they're doing. Right. And this ripple, a, the ripple effects, absolutely. especially when the diversity is at the most senior levels. Absolutely. Are there any misconceptions about diversity and inclusion in general or, or here that you... For me, I think the misconception is, you know, a lot of companies state it as a value. We have it as a value in the organization. You know, for a lot of people, it's a check the box. 
you know, what's important to me and what we have here at Tufts Health Plan is we live the value. You have to start making some hard decisions. Um, supplier diversity is one. You know, we're changing a big supplier out right now. Um, you have to make a conscious effort to go look for people. It's great to say, yeah, we'd love to make more diverse hires. But unless you really go look and make an effort and bring in more candidates and educate your leaders, you're not really doing it. You're just saying, sure, I'd love to hire some more diverse people. You have to do the hard work mm. that goes along with it. You have to do the hard work with business resource groups. They're going to push the envelope. You know, right. our LGBTQ uh, group is looking at bathrooms and how do we, you know, create more gender neutral or what do we do around that? Well, these are these are not always easy conversations to have. Our multicultural group is going to start a lunch and learn or have a lunch and learn um, in conversation in February in Black History Month, just about race in the workplace. Mm. You know, that can make you go a little bit and say, well, what's going to come up and what's that going to start? So it takes being a little bit brave and a little bit willing to go with employees as they push the envelope. That's how you get real change. Right. And, and it also reinforces the value, right? Because Absolutely. If, if they say, if it's espoused and it doesn't seem like there's follow through on those things, then the value yeah, and, and right as people right. and as employees, we sniff that out in a minute. Right. Yeah. I know if it's real. <laughs> well, that's great. You mentioned something that came up in one of your BRG groups about remote workers. And that is also a hot topic in the HR circles. So could you tell us a little about what you do to help support remote the remote workforce and what your, I hate to say the word policy, but just the approach. What's your approach with remote workers? We had a push. We had um, uh, about 500 employees in a location in Medford in our uh, public plans division, and we really wanted to move them over here to Watertown just to have one one place for the majority of our staff. And we didn't have room for 500 people. And we also needed to retain those people. We didn't want to lose them. So we embraced a remote work policy. And so we really had... Just to fit everybody in, Just to fit everybody in. So we had to do it. Um, And so that, you know, because if we hadn't had a thing like that, we would be crawling along with largely our managers resisting. Mm -hmm. For some of our managers, even just workplace flexibility means working 8 to 4.30 instead of 8.30 to 5. So there was not a lot of support for this. But the fact that we really had um, a business need to do this accomplished a couple of things. Um, We had almost complete retention of our Medford workforce that came over here because they could either come here or they could start working remotely from home two or more days a week, really. is, mm. is uh, We have sort of two groups, sort of full-time remote. So this um, is necessity is the mother of invention. So this is... Exactly. <laughs> Thank God You're not going to take as much credit on the uh, inspiration as Thank you did God in diversity inclusion. <laughs> Today, we have um, 740 people who work remotely. And when I say work remotely, that means they've officially given up an assigned workspace, an office or a cube in the building. It's extraordinary. Of how many employees total? Out of about 2,600 employees. So this is almost a quarter of your employees. Or it is a quarter. A little more. About 30, 32% of our employees. Wow. I would never have anticipated that. But once managers got comfortable with it, they saw how their ability to retain workers improved. They saw how their ability to recruit workers improved improve and they saw the productivity and happiness of their workforce improve it's really become um, i think a competitive advantage for us the fact that so many employees are out and working happy 
we do, you know, when I go back to, I talked about our employee engagement survey, our remote workers are just as engaged as our employees who are on site. Um, they're just as productive. There's really no difference. Um, we try really hard to keep them engaged. That's why oh, so we, the survey results are very similar. Survey results, very similar. Do they come in? How do you get them in so they get the community piece? How does that, how do you link that? Every team varies. You know, some folks come in once a month for a team meeting or for trainings. Some folks are in one or two days a week. Hmm. Um, and that's not counting the employees who have some flexibility and just may work a day a week from home. You know, folks, Boston's got very low unemployment. So not only is that a recruitment issue, it's a commute issue. Right. The traffic's getting worse and worse. And, yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. So we also started doing things like, you know, we have three town hall meetings a year where the leadership team sits in front of all our employees. We live stream those now. And you know what's interesting is not only do our remote workers log in to watch or they can send in their questions via email, so they're very involved, it's actually engaged a lot more employees in the building. So hmm. maybe they don't come downstairs for the live town hall, but they sit at their desks. So just by really um, implementing the tools that support a remote workforce, we've got a lot more of our own employees. It ups the technology to yeah. gain to support them. Yeah, there has been no downside. Now, what have you done, uh, talking about downsides, I know there are managers um, that grew up, let's say, and our age demographic that might be resistant to the remote workforce. How did you help those people get over that? Because that's not easy. <laughs> oftentimes to help those managers. And we, we have them. Yeah. We have them. Um, so here's sort of my, you know, my, my HR philosophy as it's um, grown over time is to really let people sort of hang themselves. So right now, I don't have a burning need to get any more employees out of the building. I don't have a space issue right now. 30% is a pretty good practice, you know, is a best practice. Um, we're right about there for remote workforce. Mm. And they're happy. Uh, what will eventually convince these managers is they will not be able to recruit people and they will lose staff to other organizations internally or externally that will give them the flexibility they want. So, so I'd prefer to let people learn themselves. Mm -hmm. um, you know, I talked earlier about, you know, the idea of flexibility being 8 to 4.30. You know, we had a manager in a very competitive organization, hard to get talent, I think lost about four or five good candidates not even over remote work. It was just over a flexibility issue, commute, that sort of thing. You know, that manager now um, is is looking at people working remotely. So that's so like, that you know, manager's converted. That's completely <laughs> converted, you know. And it usually happens over time. You know, mm. they stick their toe in the water and find out it actually works. And, uh, and so it's been extraordinarily successful here. But we needed that huge push. Otherwise, mm. we would have been limping along for years trying to get managers to do it. Maybe get into some of the HR topics now. What do you do around talent succession? Probably the hardest topic um, that we deal with. And we started a number of years ago um, introducing the concept of nine box. And we were a little behind the world on that. And, you know, like most companies, probably when you introduce it, you're familiar with the nine box. You know, your, your best talent is up in the upper right hand box, ready for promotion, highest performance and potential. And maybe the first round. Every employee was in that box. <laughs> so we now have a pretty strong um, practice around, you know, talent planning, you know, nine boxing. You know, succession, though, is, you know, we talk about it every year. We meet with managers. 
I think um, what we're going to do next is turn up the heat a little bit more because it involves making some hard decisions, right? You've got to sometimes move people out if they're blockers or if uh, you really need to reassess the skills you need in uh, leadership or technical positions. So what we're doing uh, here at this company is, is doing more meetings with the CEO so that you've got to talk about your talent plan and then come back six months later, and what are the actions you identified in your last meeting? And have you made any progress on those? I'm more about, you know, have you taken a step forward? Have you um, identified some pipeline individuals? Are you moving a little bit more aggressively on some development plans for mm-hmm. individuals? Mm-hmm. And, you know, that just takes a constant constant pressure, constant discussion, because these are the, probably the hardest things to do in organizations. Mm, it really is. It's a- a big part of your role, of course, too. What are some of the biggest changes you've seen in HR over the last 10 years, just in the function? I think the biggest change overall um, has been partnership with the business. You know, having HR leaders and staff reaching out to engage, create trusting relationships with leaders, um, it's really all about relationships. If you, if you reach out, what can I do to help you? Bringing some data to a leader um, opening their eyes a little bit to the leadership challenges or the HR challenges. Really, all you want to do is you want your workforce to be able to focus on their jobs, right, and get their work done. So what are the ways that people are getting distracted from doing that work? Is it personal issues at home? Is it in-house issues? Is it you know the wrong goals being set? Is it technology? Is it just understanding where the leader's going and what you want people to do. And so if we, you know, by reaching out to leaders and bringing them data on their workforce, um, I think, you know, analytics and informatics are helping an awful lot um, being able to look at, you know, what do your compensation programs look like? Are you paying people equitably? Could you maybe be paying a little bit more? I mean, that's not something you expect from your HR person is to come in and say, you know, I think you need to be boosting pay right. a little bit for this group of employees. Right. We um, want to retain them. we got to be competitive. Right? Yeah. Right. That's great. So pushing them forward. Yeah. What are, what are the things you're looking for going forward as you start to think about the function and the function here at Tufts Health Plan? As you look five or ten years to the future or maybe just even the next few years, what do you see the changes coming that HR will bring to your organization? I think it will all be talent, talent, talent all the time. And uh, the more you can do to understand um, your talent, what drives them, what motivates them, what do they need, how can you get more communication, honest and open communication between leaders and staff. Um, I love the idea of more and more pulse surveys, just getting a quick, what's going on? How can we address this? Not waiting for six-month engagement surveys or a year. And then what's your plan? You know, I think that's really the future. And what tools can HR bring and what relationship and professional development can we bring to you to help you do that in a way that's not scary or in a way that's not threatening um, to help help leaders succeed? Yeah, more real-time information. But technology certainly plays a role. So we have come to the moment where we have the nearer question of the podcast. <laughs> so, you know, we do this in cooperation. Every podcast. Yeah. That's right. In cooperation with Nira. So the question is, what advice would you give to somebody that's in the HR function and wants to advance to the higher levels, maybe to get to the place where you are someday? And, you know, HR is an apprenticeship. 
really in its truest form. I, I remember speaking a couple of years ago to some uh, ready-to-graduate folks in human, who were majored in human resources. The job market was a little tough at the time, and, and a number of them were saying, boy, should I just stay in school and get my master's, or should I get out and work? And my answer is always, get out and work. Um, so once you're out there and working, what can you do to advance? And what I would say is, number one, be curious you know, try to figure something out. How does that work? Why is that policy there? Why are those employees acting that way? And then take an action. You know, if you see something you don't understand, go ask somebody about it. Educate yourself. If an employee comes in with a question, because a lot of us started at the front desk of an HR department, don't just, you know, try to hand them off to somebody else or say, I don't know. Go find out the answer to that question. If you see something that you think needs to be fixed, put together a little draft proposal and go talk to someone and say, you know, I've been thinking about this issue. I came up with some ideas. I have no idea if I'm all wet or not, but can you give me some feedback? And I think that feedback piece is probably the most important. If you make yourself open and if you give people a little bit of, you know, rope to give you some feedback, you'll do extraordinarily well. Um, It's when you're not not evidencing any extra initiative or ambition. Curiosity. Curiosity, yeah, you know? Like, yeah. How could we improve our new hire ori- orientation? What's it like when someone comes in to interview for a job? Why don't, you know, our managers know where to look for information on how to get a performance review done? Mm-hmm. Um, always being curious and coming up with some ideas. Yeah. You know, as you give that advice, it also, I think, it could help somebody realize if they're in the right organization or not. Because if they keep on coming up with some interesting ideas and approaches and nobody's willing to listen, go you might somewhere <laughs> go else. somewhere else. <laughs> Find another HR leader to work for or another leader. But, so, but yeah. in the interim, yeah. ask for feedback about right. why. And say, you know, I, I brought you this idea uh. and I think it was a little half-baked. But can you give me some insight? <laughs> and if people start to give you real feedback, great. But if they're just sort of brushing you off, like, yeah, 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 good idea. Find another place, right. Else, yep. yeah. And a similar question, what advice would you, if you could write a letter of advice to your 30-year-old self, career or leadership advice, what, could you, what would you write to your 30-year-old self? I would say don't be afraid to take charge, to take that next step, and to say yes that anybody asks you to do. I thought for my whole career, I never wanted to be more than a number two. I loved being in the background. I didn't want the anxiety about being the manager of a department or the head of a function. Right. Um, it was it was fun to know everything about it. <laughs> <laughs> Feed the boss something, um, but not have to deal with One yourself. level down, a little safer, you were thinking. Absolutely. <laughs> All the fun and none of the stress and anxiety. But I think um, over time, what I've learned is, is you can get so much more done when you're in charge of something. Um, or when you, you know, you're sitting, I came here to Tufts South Plan as the director of comp benefits, and there was stuff I was seeing on the other side of the house. Like, I wanted to fix it. I wanted to make it better. So seek out those organizations. You where can have more influence. You can have more influence. Yeah. And so. it gets to be more, it gets to be more fun. So don't be afraid of, of taking on extra assignments, extra work. Just say yes. You know, I've heard that in this podcast the last few times (laughs) from some of the great HR leaders around Boston. When you look back on what you've accomplished in your career, what do you hope to be remembered most for? I would, I would, um, I would love to, you know, have people say, um, 
in that organization where Lydia worked in human resources. I also oversee um, um, facilities and communications, and I think all three of those organizations are critical to the employee experience. And would, that's a big trend now. HR yes. Is yep. So, so I, I want employees to pay. You know, I I wanted to go to work there. I feel really feel like I was adding value to the organization. I felt respected. I felt heard. I felt like I could contribute to an organization. To me, then then I've done everything. I so, if the employees do. in your organizations had that feeling, then you consider that to be yes. the thing you want to be yes. most proud of. Because so. once they're you know, acting that way and behaving that way in the job where they're giving 110% and feeling great about it and seeing the, the impact, in this case, on our members and, and what we do in community, um, then I feel great. Then I've, I've done my job. You know, I heard a speaker recently talk about engagement and performance. We're kind of talking about that right now. And he said a lot of people have this idea that engagement happens and then performance, like it's sequential. But he said it's not like that. It's really they happen simultaneously. And I just, I thought it was interesting because I hadn't really thought of it that way before. And I'd just like to get your comments on that if you have any. Because it's kind of messy. I mean, you wish you could make these things orderly. If I take this step, I'll get this outcome. But you'll take this step and maybe some people are already performing well. And some people aren't performing well. And then you check their engagement and some groups are more engaged, some are less. Some can be productive and non-engaged. It's not an exact science. Ah, I think of it as just um, super messy and complicated and about people and relationships. Right, as complicated as people are. Exactly. And how we interact with each other. Exactly. Which goes into the, you know, be curious and dig into why isn't a group engaged? Go in and ask questions. Talk to people. Mm. You know, I told you earlier in our discussion that I started this partly because it's like, who, you know, what are people talking about? Um, you know, the people on the floor, they know what is going on in an organization. Um, one of the things that I'm still able to do, fortunately, because my organization isn't huge, the, the ones I oversee, is I have breakfast with everybody who works in the, in the groups I oversee at least once a year, just because I want to hear what's happening down at that level when you you know that one of the bad things about being at the level i'm at now is a lot of people don't talk to you anymore (laughs) and uh and so you know by sitting you have to go you have to go make it happen i have to go make it happen and that's so important because you get a little sense of the pulse you know what's happening what are people concerned about um what are they anxious about you know what's happening out in the world that's impacting how people feel about our business interesting well let's switch to some Silly questions. I usually throw a couple silly ones in okay. at the end. Let's see. What gives you energy? You know, it sounds kind of funny, but the busier I am, the more people I'm interacting with, that gives me energy. If you could meet or go to dinner with any living person, who would it be and why? So hands down, I would have to be Barack Obama. I mean, that reveals my political leanings. For me, it's because I would want someone inspirational to talk to, someone who makes me feel like, I want to continue to do good things in this world. How do you give back? How do you improve the lives of others? And if you're stranded on an island, what three things would you bring with you? A boat, a backup boat, and another backup boat. <laughs> I, I don't so, want to be stranded on an island. <laughs> I'm an extrovert. I'll go crazy. 
Don't want that. Well, Lydia, it's been great having you on the podcast. Thank you so much for being a guest. It's a pleasure. And thank you so much for coming in and doing this. I am loving listening to these. Every time one comes out, it's the first thing I listen to on my drive. I'm glad you're enjoying them. We hope lots of others will too. Thank you. Thanks. Thank you for listening to the Hennessy Report from Keystone Partners. Be sure to subscribe to listen to all of our conversations with leaders in HR. Go to keystonepartners.com and click on the podcast button.